0: and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's word. Enjoy the message. Isaiah chapter 9, it is a prophetic word about Jesus that was given to people 700 years before Jesus was born and placed in that manger. Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 6 and 7, which says, For to us a child is born, To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And Lord, over these next few moments, may our view of you get even bigger When we walk out of here, may we see that the reality of who you are can change the reality of what we live in each and every day. We thank you for that, Jesus. In your name. If you agree with that, you say amen. 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 You can be seated. This month we have been in a series called Names. As we have been launching out of this passage in Isaiah 9. And we have been looking at several names of God that have been revealed to us. Each packed with meaning. And in Today's message, we're finishing the series, and we're going to highlight this amazing name of our God, which shows us the reality of who he is, and it's this, the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Prince meaning the leader, the chief, the Lord overall, all, and peace being the Hebrew word. Many of you know it, shalom, which means completeness and soundness, contentment, rest. Doesn't that sound good? Peace. And sometimes, if you're like me, you wish you could just flip a switch, you could snap your fingers, and then suddenly, voila, there's peace in the world. Suddenly, voila, there's peace in your mind, peace over the situation that you're facing. Peace. We all want it. Interestingly, the day a couple months ago when I sat down to begin working on a message about peace for today's service... It was just five days after terrorists attacked unsuspecting Israelis on October 7th, when what peace that they thought they had was completely shattered. And that particular day for the Israeli people started out as a day of rest and celebration and of peace. Peace. You see, that day marked Sukkot, which is the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, dating back to the Old Testament times. It was also Saturday morning It was their Sabbath. It was supposed for them to be a day of rest, a day of peace. And thirdly, that particular day for devout Jews was the day when they celebrated having read through the Torah, which is our Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy of the Old Testament, Having read through that in the year, they then celebrated on the final day, which was this specific day. And on this specific particular day that was supposed to be a day of peace, of rest, of celebration, all of a sudden, it wasn't. All of a sudden, the semblance of peace was shattered. And in the place of peace came war. Now, I've read that over the last 5,500 years of human history, there have been nearly 15,000 wars. And that's only the ones that we know about. And so we have to ask the question is peace even possible? Our track record says no. Is peace even possible? Is peace possible not just in the world, but in your home? Is it possible in your marriage? Is it possible in your relationships? Is it possible in your heart? Is it possible in your mind? Is peace possible? Today being Christmas Eve, we reflect back to the arrival of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And didn't you love the opening video where little Micah shared with us part of the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2? What you might not know is that that little young lady is only two years old. How many think that would have been hard for us to do as adults, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. So cute. And one of the verses that she shared with us was Luke chapter 2, verse 14, which says this, Glory to God in the highest. It was the angels making the declaration to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It was God's will from the beginning that there would be peace there would be peace. This New Testament word for peace that we see here is actually the equivalent of shalom, the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, meaning, once again, completeness, soundness. And it means like a a quietness in your soul unaffected by exterior problems and pressures. It's a, it's like the first snow, which we haven't had and I don't think we're going to have it tomorrow. That first snow, hmm comes down, and you, if you come outside before the snow blowers are cranked up, isn't it just so peaceful, so quiet? That's really what this word is bringing out, not just anything about snow, but peaceful, a, a safety, a stability, a restful peace. And it's important to note that when Jesus arrived on that day 2,000 years ago, he actually arrived at a time that was anything but peaceful. He arrived at a time that didn't have any semblance of peace whatsoever. I mean, you think about uh, nativity scenes that we set up. Anybody set up a nativity scene in your house, under your tree? That's what we usually do. At our house, when I say we, I mean Lacey and Kayla, they're the, the crown decorators of our house. They do a great job. I cheer them on every year. Way to go. And some even today, in today's world, are doing inflatable nativity scenes. I mean, who has, who has time to put them meticulously under the tree? Now you just hit the button, whoom, there they are. There's the nativity scene. But whether it's inflatable, whether it's under your tree, haven't you noticed when you, when you look at the nativity scene that it just is peaceful? It's so peaceful. The shepherds, maybe you have the wise men there, they, they, they weren't there, but um, in the nativity scene we put them there, they're just all just so Peaceful. I know they're statues. That helps, but they don't look angry. They just look peaceful. The baby. They don't. No one has an nativity scene where the baby's crying. You know what I'm saying? Or messing their diaper. It's just everything's peaceful. It almost seems like too peaceful, like too perfect. And we can get the idea that man, it must have been perfect, and it must have been peaceful. But when Jesus arrived, he stepped in. He was born into a world that was anything but peaceful. In fact, Mary and Joseph's lives at that point were actually pretty messy, pretty unpeaceful. They were dealing with with a number of things, one of those being family conflict. Mary was believed to have been a young teenager when she became pregnant. And let me add, she was also unmarried, unmarried. Very young teenager who had become pregnant. And in that culture, that was an outright scandal. you imagine what the conversations were like at home when Mary is trying to explain this to her parents? Did voices raise? Maybe. Were there a lot of tears? Probably. Did the dad of Mary go grab the nearest shotgun or taser and go out to hunt down the guy? We don't know. But let's just be real. This was a time when there was some family stress. Definitely, there would have been some fear in Mary's parents. Why? Because in that culture, her stepping out into the street to go about her day, having not been married but pregnant, could have resulted in her being stoned to death because of her act of apparent immorality. There was stress for those parents. There was stress for that family. There there was also relational conflict. And we see conflict really in any movie that we watch, story that you read, right? It catches our attention. We lean in. Conflict's got to be solved, got to be dealt with. It's like that in probably every Christmas movie. And I would guess that um, everyone here has their own favorite Christmas movie, like your absolute favorite. Do you have your favorite Christmas movie? Maybe, maybe not. If you do... When I count to three, share that with someone beside you. Give them an idea for next year to watch, alright? Alright, one, two, three. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Share that with somebody. Hey, did anybody choose how the Grinch stole Christmas? All right, that's our family favorite, so there's one other person in the world that likes that one. All right? Awesome. Anybody choose Home Alone? All right, a few others. That's the highest grossing Christmas movie of all time. Some of you helped to make it so, if you chose that as your favorite. But even if you haven't watched the movie, you probably know the story. Eight-year-old Kevin is left home by himself. His family leaves on a trip, and then he's got to fight off the, the bumbling idiot bad guys. Right, I, And I love, I love the scenes where the would-be bur- burglars are, are trying to get in and they step through and they're barefoot at that point and they step on broken Christmas ornaments. And you're just like, ah, oh, I cringe because it had to hurt so bad. Or they're sliding down the icy steps on their backs, hitting their heads. All the time they're being bested by an 8-year-old kid. I, it's, it's, it's very funny. And I like those parts. But the parts I don't like were the parts at the very beginning and then certain scenes throughout where, there was so much conflict in that home. I didn't like watching that. I, I, I remember that the, the, the parents are, are arguing, the relatives are yelling, the siblings seem like they don't like each other at all. They're just downright mean to each other. There was not a bit of peace in that home, there was conflict. Joseph and Mary were even dealing with some conflict, I believe. See marriage at that time was set up a bit different than we do it now. They were arranged by parents. Any parents think that 's a, a good idea still? We should maybe go back to that one all right. this one right over here. The contracts were negotiated by parents after the parents chose who each were going to marry, and after contracts were negotiated, the final signing agreed upon handshakes of the contracts between the parents then They were betrothed to be married. And there was a one-year waiting period where the young lady would still live with her parents. And then the man would be preparing a home. Be waiting a full year before they would come together in marriage. We can imagine that um, Joseph was very excited for the wedding day and to start off uh, this this wedding and move into years and years of, of marital bliss. But see, the the reason for the one-year waiting period was to test the purity pledge. Would they be faithful? And Joseph is so excited about the wedding, and all of a sudden he finds out that Mary is pregnant. And Joseph knew that he had been faithful, which is not easy in the first century or the 21st century. But he had been faithful, and then Mary... And, and, and there, there, there was conflict there, if you read between the lines of the text that we're giving, just because we are human beings and we, we live in a real world and we see that this must have been so difficult for them. It was anything but peaceful in the conversations that they had. In fact, Joseph decided that he was going to potentially divorce her and completely walk away from the relationship. That's how bad it got. And he thought that was a good approach at the beginning because at that moment he still did not know that what was conceived in Mary was from the Holy Spirit. There was relational conflict, anything but peaceful. There were societal pressures that they were dealing with as a couple and as a, and as a community and as a people group at this time. They were under the oppressive boot of the Romans. Anytime there was an uprising or revolt by the Jewish people to get out from underneath the Romans, the Romans would crush it with violence. I mean, why did Joseph even travel to Bethlehem? Because he had to. He was forced to. Caesar himself had given a decree. And so every Jewish male had to report back to their hometown where their people, their line had been born into. And every Jewish male had to then report and stand before the Roman censitor who would then either approve them or not approve them. And they had to prove their lineage and they had to reveal all their possessions as they gave that report. And if they failed to report before the Roman censitor during the time of this edict, they had the possibility of possibly being uh, imprisoned, possibly even being executed. I mean, the only reason Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem is because they absolutely had to. It was an oppressive time, pressures in their society. They had health challenges as well. I mean, what health challenge? Well, Mary was pregnant. And I'm no expert, but I've heard that that's quite a challenge. Having a baby. I don't know. But I was watching um, a, a description of, like a video description of, of the Christmas story with Lacey and Kayla the other night. And they showed the part where Mary is in a lot of pain getting her to have a baby. And I'm like, man why is she in so much pain? Like, she's having a baby. And so I, 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 I'm joking, but I did say that. And I, I said to Lace and Caleb, I'm like, man, I totally get this right now. I totally get what she's going through. I got this cut right here on my thumb, and it actually hurts. And they, they didn't give me, I didn't get away with that at all. They gave me a hard time for that one, as they should, because I was totally joking. But Mary was not experiencing peace in this moment. For those who have had children. This was not a peaceful time. She's getting ready to give birth. Remember, there's no hospital for for her, no nurses, no doctors, no epidurals, not even a backseat of an Uber car. There was no room in the end. There was no privacy. Anything that would be like, oh, that would be something that would help the situation. She didn't have any of that. It was not a peaceful time. And if I could just list one more detail to help paint the picture of the lack of peace that Joseph and Mary were experiencing at that time in their life, it was the the feeling of spiritual separation. And not just for Joseph and Mary, but for their people. It had been about 400 years since a prophet had brought a word from God. And this was, this was different for the Israelites. I mean, you read the Old Testament. You read prophet after prophet after prophet that God sent with a message from him to inspire them, to challenge them, to correct them, to describe God's love for them, and God's covenant prophet after prophet, and then there was several centuries where there was no real prophetic message. And it was like God was seemingly silent. It was like crickets. And many of the people, I'm sure, felt separated from God. Like, okay, we're going through this, God. The Romans are crushing us. Where are you? Why aren't we hearing from you? Where are the prophets? Where are the miracles? And they weren't seeing any of that. There had to have been a feeling of spiritual separation. And it was in That moment, in the midst of family conflict, relational stress, in the midst of pressure in their society, in the midst of the health challenges and the spiritual separation feeling, in the midst of all that is when the Prince of Peace arrived. In the midst of not having any peace, that's when Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came. And it was the exact time that God had planned before the beginning of time for it to take place. It was the perfect time. For the prince of peace to come because the people weren't experiencing any of it until he came. And this prince of peace came. The Bible tells us that this prince of peace is the author of peace. That he himself is our peace. So it's not just that he he has peace. No, he is peace. He is the prince of peace. The Lord over peace. He's the chief of peace. And this chief of peace brings peace to each and every one of you. And I want to encourage someone today and say that God, the Prince of Peace actually offers to you the undeserved peace with God. This thing that is just undeserved, this thing according to scripture that is called peace with God. Lacey and I have received a number of um, Christmas pictures from people in the mail. Maybe you've received some of those. We love looking at those. And sometimes they also include a letter uh, from the family on a number of things that have happened in their lives. Kind of a highlight. And I've noticed with Christmas cards and Christmas letters that it's always the best pictures and the best news. Like no one sends their worst picture out. Mass mailing. We just all woke up from bed. Got out of bed. Kids are angry. This is a great picture right here. We, 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 no one ever sends out a picture like that. It's always the best picture. And it's usually in the letter, the best news, the highlights. And I think it's awesome. I love reading it. But in AD 57, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Romans and it was actually filled with bad news, at least at the beginning. Because in the letter that Paul wrote to the Roman believers, around AD 57, Paul made it crystal clear here was the bad news every single person is a sinner every single person has fallen short every single person has been separated from relationship with God everybody the churchgoer the atheist the chemist the custodian the physician the Hamas terrorist the Salvation Army bell ringer. Do you get it? Everybody. The good, the bad, everybody. And if you think you're the exception, Romans chapter 1 through 3 drops an inspired bombshell. It says this There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. One, In other words, we are in really big trouble. 100% cut off from God. 100% helpless. 100% hopeless. Separated from the God of the universe. It would be more difficult for you to swallow and drink all of the salt water in all the oceans of the world than it would be for you to earn your way into God's good grace. It would be easier for you to head out today after you have a cookie and walk to the moon than it would be for you by your effort to earn right relationship with God. It is utterly impossible. And that's why Jesus came. To do what we could never ever ever do on our own. Somehow some way to get us in right relationship with God to have peace with God. Isaiah shared another prophecy about Jesus. It's found in the 53rd chapter and it says, "But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him." You see Jesus was born, placed in a manger, didn't stay there. He began to grow up. He walked around teaching, healing people who were oppressed by the devil. He lived a perfect, sinless life that no one could even question because it was perfect and sinless and everybody knew it. And then he willingly went to the cross. A Roman, excruciating, violent death. Not because someone forced him to. He did it willingly. Willingly laying down his life. And what was he doing as the perfect, sinless Sacrifice as a perfect sinless lamb. He was taking our punishment on him. Punishment that was due each of us because of our sins, because you've sinned, because I've sinned. He took that on himself. Died on the cross, just like the prophecy said, rose again on the third day, just like the prophecy said, and sits now at the right hand of the Father in heaven, proving Jesus is God. He did that for you, and he did that for me. Making it possible for us to be at peace with God. The scripture talks about it like this. It's called being right with God. Scripture also records this, that when we come into right relationship with God, we become his son or his daughter, come into his family. He accepts us. The question is, well, well how, how, how how does that work? What's my part? I can't earn my way to God, so what, what's my part in this? I mean, Jesus, he, he did the hard work, obviously. All the punishment of sin was put on himself, and he died on the cross and rose again. But, but what is my part? If, if you just boil it down, can I just say it like this? Our part is to surrender. And I, I'm not just talking about like, like a mental ascent. Okay, yeah, sure, I surrender. I'm talking about hands up in the air, I surrender. Waving the white flag saying, Jesus, you're God, I'm not. It's coming to a place in your life where you are admitting that Jesus is the Son of God. Where you're admitting that you have sinned against the holy God of the universe. That you're coming to that place, you're like, you know, I feel it, I know it, I've done wrong, I've been cut off from relationship with God. That full out surrender is, is believing in Jesus. And it's confessing that you want to serve him. That you are surrendering your life to him. You're confessing him as your Lord and also as your Savior. And on this Christmas Eve, I want you to know that the Prince of Peace offers an undeserved peace with God. No matter how old you are, no matter what you've done, he offers peace with God. That you can be in right relationship with him. Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today. And now is the perfect time to take a few moments and pray about what you just heard. If this message spoke to you, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to office at cccmidland.com or connect with us on your favorite social media at midland.